Welcome to episode 43 of Peak Curiosity. I'm Abigail. Today, I have psychologist David Cummins from Boise. If you've been around this podcast for a while, you'll remember him from episode number 24, where he talked about integrating our lizard brain into our modern 21st century brain and world. That actually might be worth listening to if you missed it, because it provides really good context for this episode. We talked about conflict in marriage, which apparently gets our nervous system all sorts of freaked out. Another special thing about this week is that my dear husband, Jordan, joined in. So this is a real live counseling session. I have to admit, I am a little bit fumbling and discombobulated in the beginning, but we settled into it. David has a questionnaire for men and women to fill out to get to understand your partner and yourself when it comes to how you react when conflict arises, which we filled out to prep for this interview, and it was really helpful. You can find that questionnaire and contact David for counseling if you find this helpful, which I really think you will. The links will be in the show notes. For the second half of the show, we took a very sharp and sudden left turn into universalism, karma, Calvinism, and heaven. This was a really fun episode. I hope you like it. Hey there. Hi. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Good. good. How are you? Yeah, good, good. I'm Dave. Hi, Dave. That's... I am Jordan. Jordan. Good to meet you, Jordan. Nice to meet you. So we did our questionnaire. We were out of uh, printer paper, so I hand wrote them out. Um, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took a while. I, so... I would imagine. You must be pretty familiar with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. Why mm-hmm. don't you give Jordan an overview um about your messy and fussy acronym, and then did you come up with all of these questions, or is this just a list of common things that have come up from your practice? How, how's this? Maybe I can start by explaining how it came about and what it is, and then can discuss what the questionnaire is about. Perfect. Would that be okay? Yes, please. So I've done a lot of therapy with couples as well as I've been in various relationships. And um, I noticed a pattern that tended to come up, not only for my clients, but also for me, is this, is that that men would typically avoid discussing anything that had to do with the relationship. And if things became emotional, then men would generally shut down and want to avoid it which would drive women absolutely batty. And, um, and so I, I would note, I noticed the pattern with my clients and I noticed the pattern in myself and I'm like, okay, well, what's the dynamic that's behind this? And so I started to watch myself and I noticed that whenever I was in an an emotionally intense discussion with uh, my girlfriend at the time that my nervous system would start freaking out and I didn't want any part of it. And they would seem to really want to keep talking and talking and talking <laughs> about it. And I would want to not be there at all. So um, 
then I notice this happening also a lot with my clients. So what I what I figure is this: the dynamic that tends to happen is is that women are much more interrelational for lots of different reasons. Uh, we can get into what I believe is the genetic aspects and hormonal aspects of it, but women tend to be much more inter interpersonal in regards to the interactions in the world and men aren't as much interpersonally focused <clears throat> and so women would want to talk about what was going on in the relationship and men generally would avoid it which would tend to increase the emotionality with women and then when the women would finally bring it or, or push the issue to the surface then <clears throat> because men our emotional system i believe uh, in our nervous system tends to be overreactive. that's why i call it i came up with the acronyms um male emotional sensitivity syndrome and uh, fussy for women which is uh, female ultra sensitivity syndrome and uh, trying to explain why men are messy and women are fussy so when you look at how a man kind of operates and works, we're based primarily upon testosterone is one of our, our main uh, hormones. And so men have evolved being very problem oriented. So when you look at um, in uh, older cultures and primitive cultures, then men would go out and hunt and gather and do all of that. And so understanding the the inner workings especially especially the inter emotional workings of yourself or the other uh male wasn't very practical and so most of the time men would just be with men back then and in primitive cultures and it was pretty uh dysfunctional because can you imagine two cavemen right running away from a saber-toothed tiger and one goes hey glock how do you feel about this right like they're, they're not going to want to stop and discuss their inner workings of it so it wasn't very functional testosterone is more of an outward focused hormone and that's why men tend to be much more problem solving in the world and then when men solve problems then we get dopamine which feels good to us and that's why having a sense of accomplishment competence feel so good to men with women in the same kind of scenario they would grow up either in caves or in small clans while the men would go out to hunt and gather and then the women would be connected with one another in smaller units and with the children so it's really important that they understood the interworkings of one another in order to be able to function like well so-and-so seems upset or bothered well in order in these closer proximities it was important to understand what the problem was and then try to resolve it by talking and working it through so that that system could function so um then back to men it, it's, it's not only dysfunctional it, it was dangerous and so um not only with like the caveman scenario but imagine being in a foxhole in world war one and one of your buddies is crying over there and wanting to talk about his emotions 
So you see how dangerous that would be. So I think that that in part is why men tend to shame emotion out of one another historically is because it was not only dangerous to the men, but dangerous to the families and to the culture at large. So men culturally, well, biologically, we're focused more on testosterone and dopamine. Culturally, we're also uh, enculturated to hide our emotions and to go internal. Women evolved differently, where they ended up um, having to connect with one another. And then one of women's main hormones is oxytocin, and it's a bonding hormone. So when women are together and they're talking about problems, then oxytocin increases. So they actually kind of get high off of it. When men are together talking about problems, we get really uncomfortable from that neurobiological as well as cultural reasons, right? So when that happens, men, so when a woman approaches a man and she's saying, hey, I've got this problem, right? Then men go, okay, great, let's fix it, right? Because that's what testosterone is about. But women generally don't want the problem fixed yet because they feel alone. Really what they're looking for is to be understood and bonded with because when they feel understood and bonded with, then their nervous systems can relax because they don't feel alone and they feel safer. But if men aren't going into that form of communication, drawing the emotion out. So, wow, tell me about it, or that must be difficult. Or if I were you, man, that would really suck. You know, instead of men, we tend to just come up with the, the solution. Then women feel cut off. And then when that happens, what do you think happens with women? They well, get super they mad. increase emotion. <laughs> and so with, for women, emotion is communicating importance. But to a man's nervous system, his nervous system is reading that it's danger. And when that happens, then men, we go into a fight or flight response. And men, because we haven't evolved to hold high emotion like women have, then we, we get overwhelmed by it and our nervous systems start freaking out. But with women, we've been conditioned to protect so we can't go into the fight as well as in today's civilization. If men go into the fight, it's probably not going to work very well. So men were kind of um, disarmed a bit. Women can think and feel simultaneously much better than men can. So as women are communicating, men were feeling overwhelmed by it and overtaxed, and our nervous system is starting to freak out. And when that happens, and then this kind of gets to the point that I'm driving at is then men go into the flight, or I'm sorry, the freeze response. So when, when animals have the option, um, it's either fight, flight, or freeze. So when an animal believes that it can win whatever the threat is, taking it on, then it'll fight. If it believes it'll lose, it'll run. If it can't run or fight, then it will freeze. And so that's what happens with men oftentimes in these situations is because we feel outgunned because women can think and feel simultaneously better. Their processing speed is much faster. Their memory works a lot better 
than with men, right? Because like, neurologically, I, I can explain that it has to do with the cor corpus callosum. But with that, then men, we can't fight or flight. So we go into freeze, we dumb down, we check out. And when we're in this checked out space, then women believe that we're not listening to them. They feel discounted, ignored. And then guess what women do when they feel that way? They get louder. Uh-huh. And increase emotion, which the men's nervous system is already overtaxed. And then it increases it, pushing them further into a term as dissoci dissociation or a dissociative state which is kind of the freeze response. The way that I talk about it, it's like a low-grade shock. Men, we dumb down in those situations. And I get that it's really maddening to women because they feel stonewalled, um, neglected, abandoned, right? Um, but men aren't doing it purposefully or consciously. Our nervous systems can't hold the same, the same wattage as women can. Mm. So just out of curiosity, how often do you see variances in that? Or is it for the most part, you kind of can trace it to that specific issue with men and women? Well, I, there, there are a lot of issues definitely that go on between men and women, right? It's Looking historically, this is pretty much one of the only times historically that men and women have really cohabitated that it's just generally the man and the woman together. Historically, men have hung out with men, women have hung out with women, and then they came together to essentially have sex, have kids, and kind of have a family. But they would really rely a lot on one another. So, um, so there are lots of issues that take place between the genders, but this is one that I see almost over and over and over and over and over again um, happening, especially seeing women wanting to talk about the issue because that they're geared that way. Let's talk about it and resolve it in that safety. But men, we, we generally just want to keep going on acting as if everything's fine, right? Because what what happens is men with with women they're so upset and then it doesn't work well and then men we go well that didn't work well so let's avoid that in the future let's not talk about any of those and and then women go well he's never talking about things and and why doesn't he ever talk about things yeah so do you feel that what he's saying applies to you I, I'm going to throw you under the bus a little bit if you're okay with that. Oh, perfectly fine <laughs> with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I kind of went into this marriage preparing myself to be able to emotionally relate. And so it's kind of come as a shock to me that she's almost completely different where I mean, if we're, if conflict is starting to happen, you know, it's, it's kind of changed a little bit recently, mm -hmm. I feel like, but, um, she's the one who wants to completely shut down. And so then I'm left, yeah. um, then I'm left feeling like, well, okay, hold on here. I was, I want to, I want to work this out and I was prepared to connect in any way that we needed to, but. I don't know. There's it's there's a lot that goes into it, but 
Yeah, I definitely like space. I usually have blamed it on the house I grew up in where mm -hmm. there was no conflict for us kids to see. We mm -hmm. could always tell something was there, but mm -hmm. nothing was ever worked out. And I just learned if I'm upset, I can just go in my room, I can go exercise. And given a day, I won't actually feel upset anymore. And so I have approached a lot of our arguments with, you know, just give me a little space to relax. And he mm -hmm. doesn't like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so you're, I think that you're right, Abigail. Usually you see it. Um, the, the place that I see this with is usually what you're describing, is that the woman grows up in an environment that doesn't feel safe to talk about things and then when mm -hmm. someone tried to either it blew up or they got shut down or whatever right um and where the man is grown up probably uh more connected with his mother um and also well, i'll say in, we in... uh oh sorry um pardon me we we saw conflict a lot that's basically so I, I kind of came up in the opposite household yeah. where if there was okay. conflict, it was it was there. We saw it. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. So, Jordan, for you, my guess would be that it was safer for you to be able to talk about things. And then once they got resolved, you were able to move on and keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, I, I, think I, that's true. I don't know. Yeah. You know, and so that that definitely develops. I've, I've seen it you know, a number of times, but generally what I see is more men going into the messy and women going into the fussy, you know, right. another, another issue can be kind of, um, avoidant attachment and insecure attachment, which are different attachment styles where, um, avoidant people, oftentimes they grew up in environments where they weren't really taken care of as well as uh, they probably should have. So they learned to be overly self-reliant. Um, insecure attachment, it, maybe they weren't taken care of very well and they learned the way to get their needs met was really trying to draw the individuals in. And so sometimes that'll happen as well where the woman's more avoidant, the man's uh, more insecure in the attachment styles. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So for you, Jordan, it, it sounds like when you read over it, um, the questionnaire, you really didn't answer a whole lot affirmatively then. Um, I actually checked off like half the list, though. So, mm -hmm. well, that's the thing is that I do have, I don't know, for me, it sometimes is a little bit of both. Um, I guess mm -hmm. I kind of. Yeah, sorry, no, I don't know where to go with this exactly, but... Would yeah. it be helpful if he told you some of the ones he checked off? Sure. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I checked off a sense of increased confusion, which comes down to the fact that I, you know, I can come into it prepared to work it out, um, but then I just, uh, when things kind of, it's sometimes happens where things just get out of hand and five minutes later, I don't know what just happened and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm stuck. Like I'm stuck, yeah. like wanting to work it out, but I'm also just alone mm -hmm. in a separate room and I need to 
find a way to stay busy, but I don't want to do anything at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That is, so, yeah, Jordan, what I call that dumbing down. But what I've found is is that when men's nervous systems get overwhelmed, we tend to get confused. We, we get meddled in our thinking. And I could see possibly for you where you had the combination of both, which is your system probably gets overwhelmed. And then um, also you wanting resolution at the same time. Hmm. Versus I think typically men get overwhelmed and the resolution for them generally is getting the hell out right. you know for them they they just want to leave because if they can leave the situation their nervous systems relax but with someone with an insecure attachment style they the leaving actually creates anxiety mm-hmm. so i could see where you're dumbing down but also having um the desire for quick resolution right Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And then on that note, I also checked off like mind becomes foggy, hard to form thoughts. I'm naturally not a super good verbal communicator. And so that'll, so in conflict, that only makes it more difficult. Cause then I do things like I can't remember what I was going to say and can only remember after the argument. So really anything related to that, I did end up checking off like what was the right thing to say, hard time putting words and sentences together. So that kind of, I feel like that kind of all goes with the confusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what will happen is, is in the freeze response, the Broca's area of the brain gets impaired. And that's why it's really difficult to formulate words, particularly in, in the freeze state. And well, actually in fight, flight or freeze, um, oftentimes it becomes more difficult to communicate. Um, also with the uh, um, hippocampus, it, it gets impaired as well. So our memory starts to really get cloudy. Um, women don't seem to have as much uh, cloudiness or their processing speed can actually increase and their memory clearly increases you know <laughs> because you're like how the hell did you remember that like how did you even put those two things together you know um <laughs> one thing that that i heard in a talk that really resonated is this guy he said well the way that men's brains work kind of like waffles where it's pretty linear straight forward and with women, it's kind of like spaghetti and that the two ends are connected, even though you can't really see how they're connected, they're still connected. And so definitely see that in arguments. Mm. So. For sure. Um, I suppose I'll tell you a couple of the things I checked off. Um, I have him not making as much sense as usual. Um, I also feel he doesn't seem to listen to what I'm saying or is regularly misinterpreting. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I ha- I was l- cheating. I looked on the other page and I saw some <laughs> things that I also felt, um, which I already mentioned, just wanting the conversation to be over. I've mm-hmm. had moments where it's like, if I throw myself out of the car, can we stop talking? Mm-hmm. At, which I know is not very logical or helpful for the situation, but I definitely need, feel the need to just get away. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, which probably has a lot more to do with your upbringing. Mm -hmm. Sure, where like when conversations got intense, your nervous system read it as this is unsafe. And my guess, Jordan, is is when conversations got intense, that you're around it long enough that your nervous system at first probably went, oh my goodness, this isn't safe. But then after a while, you realize, well, it's safe. It's kind of like, I don't know, um, living next to a bombing range, right? That you move in there at first, your nervous system's freaking out, but you're there like a couple weeks or a month. And then your nervous system adjusts to it to the point that without it, it'd be a little weird. Hmm. You know, like, oh, there's something wrong if we're not even talking about stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It To me, it's almost to the point where I have a hard time doing anything else with when something's on the back burner and mm -hmm. honestly sometimes <laughs> what I've started to do recently is just as soon as there's a hint of conflict like I'm almost shutting down prematurely and then that's I think that's kind of what happened yesterday if I remember correctly when, when in the past you didn't shut down it yeah. sounds like in the well, past I shut you down were... i shut down but then rather than things just kind of boiling over and us getting over it um that conflict kind of just stays there so it is a little bit different mm -hmm. yeah which possibly by that happening you might be moving more towards what a typical male response is that that's what it kind of sounded like because if you're able to have um, heightened emotion and then resolution and reconnection then then that's great you know in in some family systems as long as it's not destructive um but if you guys have been having the heightened intensity without that resolution on the end then I could see Jordan where your nervous system is going, Oh geez, I, this is lasting too long and I don't want to be here for very long. So now I'm just going to shut down or avoid. Is that what I heard you saying? Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. You know, so I, I think that, that both of you have things to help to teach one another in, in regards to communication about how to kind of figure out well what worked better in your family of origin and how to bring that to one another as well as to create a new form of communication you know the the number one thing if if you ask me what's the number one thing that you would suggest to couples in order for uh, improving their communication i would say learning to slow your bodies down and the way to do that is by breathing. Because as soon as either of you go into fight, flight, or freeze response, then you're becoming much more primitive in your emotional reactivity, your problem solving, um, and in communication. The, the way that I think about it is, is both of you are intelligent, you know, human beings, and that when your system starts to amp up that you drop down more into your primitive mind where you dumb down and then you start to mist up. And then what happens is these two individuals who are highly intelligent most of the time are talking about things that 
are even more important than most things. And they're kind of like intelligent monkeys now. <laughs> and then getting into the zone that I call sloppy. And when we're in sloppy, then we just start saying things without really thinking about it. Or we say things that we've been holding on to for a long, long time, and it all comes out in, in a sloppy manner. And unfortunately, sloppy can lead to ugly. And so one thing that I really suggest with couples is noticing your body. And when you're starting to activate, realize that what you're doing is you're distorting your reality. Because when we feel threatened, our reality gets distorted and we get reactive to it and we messed up. An example of it most of us understand is when we get hangry. We've been hangry before, mm -hmm. right? So nothing changed about our world. It's our perception of the world that changes. So when you guys are activated in sloppy zone, then you're misinterpreting and misreacting to one another. So when you notice that, I really encourage you taking time to slow down, slow your speech down, slow your breathing down, maybe even take a time out. And if you do take a time out, if you're, if you're like, hey, we need to take a time out, let the other person finish what they were saying. Give them like a minute or two to wrap things up and then have an agreed upon time out to slow your systems down, not to build up more ammunition. And then to come back and start communicating. Like, imagine you guys are kind of in a heated discussion, and then you get a knock on the door, and then it's like, I don't know, like a friend, right? And then the friend comes in, and you guys are talking for a while, and then the friend leaves. And if you guys had the conversation after that, you'd probably be a lot more productive because your nervous system slowed down so that you're yeah. not as primitive. I've noticed this over and over. If we get in a moderately heated disagreement, but we're like on the way to somewhere, by the time we're finished with the social event, it's like, who cares? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of two things probably happened. One is, is that things slowed down and then you had a much better perspective on it. Or you just let it slip back into denial, you know, <laughs> in, in back onto the back burner, um, which either, either can happen, you know, so, mm -hmm. but, but quite likely, have you had that situation? And then you guys talked about the issue afterwards and it was more productive? Definitely. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And it only takes one of the two of you to be able to identify it. Right. In, like, oh, in saying I'm getting into sloppy or we are, but never say you are <laughs> because then it gets sloppier. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. How do you recommend, um, maybe you've kind of answered this already, but how do you recommend when you're needing to kind of debrief and understand what initially caused an offense? to either apologize and then learn, try not to do this again. What I feel happening a lot is there will be something and then we'll try to understand what happened and then we can just up arguing about what we thought happened, which mm -hmm. is the most unproductive unpredict thing in the world and makes me very frustrated. Mm -hmm. 
That, that's a good question. I, in part, I'd have to maybe observe what was oh, going <laughs> on with, with the two of you to really answer that well. But I think that what I heard from you, Abigail, is that you get to kind of a point of resolution and then you look back on it trying to understand what happened and then it inflames again. Is yes. that right? Yeah. Well, part of it is is maybe it wasn't fully resolved and it was kind of just simmering underneath the surface and then a spark, you know, got it going again, right? Um, <clears throat> but I, I think when you're able, really, you know, what, what I suggest is more looking at what you've done and not so much at what the other person has done. Because in part, when you guys are going back over it, I bet that a fair amount is, and then you did this, or you didn't do that, versus taking time to really self-reflect and go, okay, I see what it must be like to be with me, and to reflect that back, uh, to be able to say, yeah, earlier, you know, Jordan, I, I know that what I said was really hurtful. And I think that now that I look at it, it was really exaggerated. That's not going to inflare him, right? But, you know, if he said to you, what you said earlier was in, inaccurate, and, you know, it, then, then, then your problem, part of you is going to go, well, well, no, hi, and then here we go. So I think part of it is, is really, if you're going to look back and assess it, Look more at what you brought to the table and realize neither of you are really lying to one another. You guys are sharing your experiences with one another, sharing from your own truth, even if it's distorted at the time. And to realize some of the time, the other person's really trying to help me to see something about myself that I've been having a hard time identifying and, and owning. And if I can start to identify it and own it myself, then things will really change. But most couples are really focused in couples therapy to have the other person change. But that doesn't work very well, you know. And so I really talk a lot to couples about that. It's kind of like with AA, they talk about cleaning up your side of the street, right? Well, people come in. And they think, well, if the other person's fixed, they clean up their side of the street, then the whole neighborhood's going to be clean. And that's not the case. Sure. You know, so that, that's one thing that I would really have you guys take time to think about. What, what is the other person who loves me and cares for me trying to help me to understand about myself so that I can show up better in this world, not just for him or her, but for the relationship and also for the world in general. Part of it is, is realizing both of you really have good intent, but when things in match up and it didn't go smoothly then both of you got frustrated with one another and then you got primitive in your response systems you went into fight or flight or freeze and then things probably started to melt down versus being able to slow down with one another and but like as soon as you guys start speaking faster raising your voices 
then then your nervous system is reading you're like i'm in an actual life-threatening situation right now even though logically you know that you're not but when your heart's beating faster you know your uh blood pressure is increasing it's your system is saying this is dangerous and that's why I'm suggesting that you guys have been there before. It's not your first rodeo with this by the sounds of it. And to be able to go, here we are in this pattern again. And it's our opportunity to do something different right now. But in order to do that, it takes two conscious individuals. And to slow it down, to go, oh, goodness, look, here we are again. Can, can we slow down and do it differently this time rather than doing the same dance where both of you are stomping on each other's feet when really it starts out with accidentally stepping on each other's feet and then it can, it can escalate. So that's why I really encourage being aware of your body and your nervous system and what's going on and are you about to create what you want? Because when you're activated, you almost always create the opposite of what you want. Both of you wanted the answer and resolution. Both of you wanted to be able to work together, you know? And so in order to do that, you can't be in fight or flight response. That's why going, here we are again. How about we slow down? Can we do it differently this time with one another? And so sometimes, you know, that, that means being able to go, okay, teach me how to fish for a little bit and I can hang out in, in this, this area and maybe learn something new. Or the other is, is to just go, okay, I'm going to try to give you a fish, even though I'm not really sure how to do that. Let me see if I can try to do it this way. And then you guys learn and grow together. Because if not, you guys will stay in this pattern until you guys start doing things differently. And that's why I really encourage slow down. But it takes two conscious people to do it. And it, like I, this is, I preach it over and over again with couples, but it's so important. My partner and I do so much better than we used to do because we, we notice high emotion. And for me, because I, I get messy, um, in the, you know, male uh, emotional sensitivity syndrome, what I do is, is I really focus on staying present with her and in regulating my emotion so that, that I'm not getting into that low-grade shock in showing up with her for presence. Also, she's aware of when she uses high emotion, she's about to lose me because with men, more emotion doesn't mean more more logic. It doesn't make it more right. And so women using logic, which my girlfriend is starting to do a lot better, you know, and then she gives me time to process it, which might be the thing, Jordan, for you to do with Abigail is to be able to share things in a way that doesn't feel threatening to her and then to give her time to sit and to process it herself. And then my guess is, Abigail, then you come back after processing it yourself, and then you can talk about it. But if you need immediate resolution, Jordan, then she's feeling pressured. And, and then you're, you're going to get a fight response or a flight response rather than going, can I talk with you and share some things and then let you process that? Would that be okay?
Mm. And then Jordan, for you to be able to go, okay, my nervous system wants resolution right now, but nope, I'm going to learn to be comfortable and regulate my emotions with that being on the back burner. And then the two of you coming together is going to be a heck of a lot more effective. I agree. Is there anything else you want to mention or should I just start asking some not necessarily personal questions about marriage and stiffs? Uh, I, nothing right now, I guess. You, you okay. Can go for it. If anything comes up, just jump in. Well, and, and you guys are really good books that are out there. You know, um, I suggest going to my website. I have a book list on relationships and communication. Um, also, uh, like on my website, I've, uh, what, what, what do I call them? Um, house rules is what I call it. And it has to do with couples operating on the same foundational rules, because if two people aren't playing by the same rules, then, then things are going to break down. It's like one person playing 10 by the rules of tennis and another person playing by the rules of chess, you know, like it's going to really create problems rather than having fundamental rules together in them being able to follow those. Also, I have, you know, uh, an article on wisdom for couples. Um, I wrote a blog article on that. So um, I'd encourage the two of you to read over those in, in dialogue about it so that you can create a new experience for one another better than what you grew up with. See, that that's a beauty about people coming together is, is you can take the good from the worlds that they grew up in and what you learned along the way and create a new culture and system yourselves. But it, it has to be one that comes together that you guys are forming together. Yeah. And I think educating yourselves, talking about it, then you're a lot more uh, likely to apply it together. What is the best way to approach a grievance with your spouse? Well, I guess one is, is, generally understand that their intention isn't to harm you. Okay. And to address first, you know, I get that your intention isn't this. And then to be able to share more of what it's been like for you rather than going into the blaming. Most people go, I don't like what you did and you really hurt me rather than being able to go, I get that your intent wasn't to be hurtful. And my experiences with what happened is that it felt hurtful to me. And what would be really helpful to me, because people really like helping, not being told what to do in our culture. What would be helpful for me is in the future is if you would do whatever the positive would be, right? Um, so a lot of times people go, I'm really sick and tired of you being late and, and it really hurts and it's disrespectful. But the person's not doing it to be disrespectful or really even to do it consciously to be late. So that's not their intent. So to be able to say, yeah, I get that um, your intent isn't to, to be an inconvenience to me and I get your intent isn't for it to feel um, disrespectful to me. But at times when that happens, that's the way that I read it. And, th and that's my stuff. And at the same time, I'm going to ask that you help me out by being 
more punctual in the future so that it doesn't trigger my stuff of interpreting it personally when it's not as personal as the way that I'm taking it. So part of, part of it is understanding what it must be like to be in the other person's position and why they're doing what they're doing. First of all, rather than going in with the, the blaming, you go in with some compassion and understanding and, and understand maybe how you might be creating it yourself. I, I call them shit boomerangs, you know, which is a lot of times whatever our grievance is, is based upon, you know, what their grievance is about us. You know, the, the person in that example might say, well, you're always on me about always having to be on time and time isn't really all that important, you know, and, and that person's built up a grievance because they felt controlled or whatever. You know, and so possibly they get passive aggressive, you know, by not being on time. And, and then here we go, round and round. Yeah. Is there a simple way that you know of when something comes up? How do you know if it's worth actually bringing up or just saying, well, I mean, neither one of us is perfect. I'll just move yeah. on. I, I think that's, that's a golden question, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, you know, because you're right. If you end up bringing everything up, then then that becomes a problem. But if you're not addressing things, then now that becomes a problem. And it depends, I think, on the couple and figuring out with one another. Because two people like might be more like Jordan. That's like, yeah, on the small things, let's let's talk about those and let's resolve them, and that so that they're not building up. Other people are like, well. They're small things. Maybe Abigail, you're more this way. And Jordan, I'm not sure if that was correct what I said about you, but where other people are like, man, let's just let the small things go because it's not worth it. One thing, though, the healthier a relationship is, the more cushion there is for the small things. So I, I think of a healthy relationship like shock absorbers. If a relationship is unhealthy, there's a lot of resentment, and um, then the smallest things, if, then there's no shock absorption in it. The smallest things feel like huge, but if the relationship's really healthy, then they go right over those bumps. In, in the healthiest relationships, really, those couples can get sloppy with one another, and it, that can be really healthy rather than always having to be nicey-nice. And they, they kind of get sloppy with one another for a little bit, and then they move right past it. But if the couple isn't healthy, the small things become huge things. Um, also, if they get sloppy with one another, then it, it lasts for hours, days, weeks sometimes. You know, so I, I think it, it depends on you guys talking about it. Do you think that we talk too much about the small things or not enough? And for you guys to start to decide for yourselves. What's the best way to help a spouse when they're going through a depressive period? Well, to be loving for them and compassionate, understand what it might be like for them. You know, um, in the work that I do as a psychologist, the more compassion that I have for an individual and understanding, the more energy seems to lighten up. But if, if in a relationship that you don't have that, 
then it can really drive the person further into the depression and create a lot more arguments. Um, another is, is really creating, it depends on the person. Some people creating space and really being heard, letting them know that they're loved and not alone. Um, another would be encouraging um connecting it, it really kind of varies from person to person and then the other would be maybe seeking out therapy for the person to be able to work through whatever is a source of that depression but like i i think about like the people who come in and meet with me as someone who is highly depressed i think of well what's the worst depressed that i've ever been in my life and then maybe I multiply it by three or five. Man, what would that be like? Then for some people, I'm getting into the ballpark of what that must really feel like because the depressed person doesn't want to be depressed either, you know, but they do want to be understood and respected and cared for. Sure. How do you deal with uh, not feeling awkward in a counseling situation? I feel like some weird things might come up. <laughs> well tell me about it abigail <laughs> so I'm, I'm 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 not sure if i followed the question exactly well you i just imagine you come in and you have a couple you know even getting in an argument right in front of you how do you like stay out of it not feel awkward and you not get all stressed out about there being conflict right there okay that that's a great question well, part of it is to be able to regulate my own nervous system because as they're going at it, my, the deeper regions in my brain are reading it as being dangerous. But I know that it's not. They're not going to harm me. They're, they're just going back and forth. So my slowing my system down really helps to slow their systems down as well. Um, and sometimes I'll, I'll let couples argue for a while to really get an understanding of the dynamic so that I can see, okay, this is how this person communicates, maybe in a manipulative way, or this is a way that the person really feels discounted. And then, I, we, then we can slow it down and maybe break it down to be able to dialogue around it. Um, but and if it gets too intense then generally i'll i'll ask them to time out take a time out and breathe and really slow things down because then it gives them opportunity to start working on the breathing exercises in the session and then then after that to be able to kind of guide them through um healthy communication and sometimes that works great and other times not so great you know, uh, what, what I find is most couples who come to therapy, maybe not most, but a lot of couples who come to therapy, there's so much damage that's already occurred that it's hard for them to even heal because things just keep getting stirred up. So I encourage people to read and start changing and communicating differently, as well as to seek out therapy, um, not as a last resort. Sure. Are there any, is breathing the most effective way to calm a ner nervous system? And do you do uh, like boxed breathing, four in, hold for four, four out, hold for four? Or well, what do you the, use? Yeah, the, the most efficient way 
of um, slowing the nervous system down really is is through medication. But I don't encourage people to use medication generally, you know. Um, but breathing is the probably and and also releasing the energy. Like one way is is by calming the body down. So yeah, I I teach like box breathing sometimes, but really just slowing the breathing down, collecting the energy in the belly, and then blow, imagine blowing the energy out with a long exhale, right? And then breathing good energy in, collecting the discomfort in the belly, and then doing a long exhale. The doing a longer exhale communicates to the midbrain that there's no threat because a rabbit isn't going to be doing slow breathing with a long exhale if it's running away from a fox. So by doing that, the primitive brain is going, hold it, we're, we were just activated, but we're breathing differently. So the, the brain does eventually get there, right? So neither of you are activated right now. Right. So eventually you got from where you were the other day when both of you are heated to where you are now. The question isn't, will you get there? Everybody does generally eventually is how quickly can you slow it down? Um, another is like with couples is to, to not use your hands in movement because the, that spread is being threatening. Sit down, speak slower maybe even get something to drink or use a restroom as a break and then to be able to come back together. And while you're doing that, slow your breathing down and, and imagine releasing that intense energy. So there was one question I was just curious about, just based on your, so based on, I, you know, I don't really know how, I mean, everyone kind of has their own approach and I don't really know how counseling actually works too much, but have you ever had to get to the point where you actually recommend that they split up or does it mostly, is it mostly just one partner clearly doesn't want this to work? And so that's the only way moving forward. Yeah. There, there occasionally have been times where I've been very candid with a couple, especially if, um, they're causing great pain to one another and they keep going round and round is then I'll say, you know, I, I don't know which is the best direction for us to keep trying to get this relationship to work. And I don't know if, if I'm going to be able to help you to do that, or if it's time for the two of you to figure out how to do a healthy split together and then to put it back out there for discussion. But yeah, sometimes couples will come in and I'm like, I, I don't know if I can really help you because it's so toxic and, and hurtful by that point. And it, it wouldn't be a very good use of my time. And also it wouldn't be a very good use of their time too, of trying and trying and trying and trying and trying when sometimes it's just best to go, okay, we've done our dance and learn from one another and maybe it's time to move on. Yeah, well, when, when two individuals come together and realize we're both imperfect here mm -hmm. and we're in this experience and how can we love each other and learn and grow together, 
then then you guys can really make progress and, and maybe you know to stay together or not but at the very least to learn and grow and heal together so that if you stay together then you really benefit from it if not then the future relationships will benefit from it and what will happen is is you won't attract the same people anymore the the more that we heal whatever wound or change negative habits then we we won't attract the same people anymore so for instance if um say a person is real passive and a giver then oftentimes they'll attract more aggressive people because aggressive sort of people don't deal with aggressive people very well aggressive people don't deal with aggressive people very well and so passive aggressive people oftentimes end up with passive people now let's say that the passive person realizes and learns oh okay this is all about me and not so much about the aggressive person it's about me learning to be assertive and then learn to be more assertive then that relationship generally isn't going to work well and then it'll end but the next relationship the person's not going to attract an aggressive person because the aggressive person will read oh this person's assertive they're, they're not going to put up with my shit you know <laughs> and so um so and if the aggressive person becomes assertive well, one is they're not going to be really attracted to passive people as much anymore. And also passive people aren't as attracted to assertive people. You know, so I, I really think that we tend to keep drawing in whatever our lesson is in life is until we learn it. And especially in relationships. Do you have anything else that you would like to talk about? Not not offhand, you know, like with um the messy and fussy, I I want to get that down and being able to communicate that more clearly. Like I, I was kind of jumping around rather than being able to, it, it's funny, like on podcasts, I'm, I'm a bumbling idiot compared to how I am in the office. It seems <laughs> like, you know, um, it's that, that self-criticism. So Abigail, like I, I love the courage you have, you know, for, for putting this out there. Um, and also, this is great practice for me to be able uh, to be more comfortable because when, when I'm counseling and I'm in my office, I feel really comfortable because I, I feel real competent. I'm used to it. Um, but yeah, I, I think maybe at a future point, maybe even being like, hey, Dave, can you explain this concept to me? And then I, I'll be able to explain a lot better than I did today. It's something that I think is so important because I see it happening over and over with people. And, and it's maddening for men and women. And so I, I'll, I'll probably write an extensive article on it and then maybe uh, to revisit it again. Sure. Sure. So if somebody liked listening to you and liked how you dealt with us today, where can they go to contact you for their own chance? They, they can go to <laughs> um, my website. Uh, just Google David Cummins, uh, Boise, David Cummins Psychologist. It's um, davidcummins.net. So um, yeah, and, and then I'm, I'm more than happy uh, for people to reach out to me. And then also, um, aren't you going to ask me any 
uh, strange and quirky questions this time? Well, I realized a couple minutes ago that I actually don't have a couple questions for a repeat guest. So oh, I really? actually need to think about it. And I Googled yeah. funny questions and I didn't see anything off the top, but I might look for just a second more. Okay. Or you can ask one that you've asked before. Well, I suppose, I can't remember last time, did I ask you what your favorite animal is? Um, oh, yeah. I, I said I, humans. Oh. That's what I said. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, especially oh. female humans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah, the male species they they smell kind of funny, actually. That's yeah, true. yeah, yeah. That's fair. What's your favorite body of water, like a pond, a lake, river, or ocean, or creek? Oh, uh, uh, white water is yeah. I, I white water kayak, or I used to really regularly. Um, uh, that that definitely is, and, and then just I guess like uh, a lake for tranquility, but for fun and excitement is uh, whitewater kayaking. Yeah. Do you do that? You go kayaking? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I've I've done a ton of it. Actually, it's what brought me to Boise. Mm. Was yeah, was the whitewater kayaking. Not not a job kayaking. Yeah. yeah. How many times mm-hmm. have you almost drowned? Um, are, are we talking about bathtubs or white water? <laughs> white water. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, fortunately, you know, knock on wood, I've, I've, I haven't had, um, any experiences close uh, to drowning. There was one time that I put on, uh, it's the North Fork of the Payette. It's a section from uh, Banks up to McCall. And I put on at really high water and I hadn't been in a kayak um, like in six months. And a buddy of mine, people were putting in at a lower part of it. I'm like, why, why is everybody putting in down there and he's like because it's freaking huge and i'm like oh I'll, I'll just do it and it was the stupidest decision that that i've made by far whitewater kayaking i got through it that if i had swam then i i don't know if i'd be here but um but most of the time you know um it's been really really fun and awesome you have one day left to live what do you do other than whitewater kayaking? <laughs> oh, geez. Now you made it more difficult. Um, I guess that can be involved in, you can throw that in there. I, I, I would want to connect in with the people that I loved and let them know how much I've appreciated them. I think that that's, and then as far as have a really good meal, um and i I think a couple uh cocktails a beautiful sunset yeah and uh and spend time in gratitude yeah yeah what's the most embarrassing thing you've ever done oh no the most embarrassing god where where do i oh man you can only pick one i know that immediately (laughs) 10 things pop into mind oh god I'm, i'm sure that my friends would would have um uh probably the most embarrassing moment <laughs> is when i uh sharded in a person's bed that wasn't my own uh, yeah. yeah i don't yeah, know yeah that would be pretty horrible 
second. I don't know if you want to edit that one out or oh, not. Oh, no, that, I'm leaving that. That would have to be um, another time was um, I, I was I was dancing with a transvestite and didn't know it, you oh. know. Um, oh, dear. And uh, in he, she, she, I guess, uh, was getting uh, pretty uh, erotic, you know, and all my friends were there watching it, realizing that uh, I was dancing with the transvestite and I didn't know it. Oh, know? no. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds awkward. How did you get out of it? I backed away real slowly, right? Like, <laughs> like you saw a to, bear. Like, like no, nobody's watching. Kind of look, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so, funny. Yeah. Um, when we had emailed, tell me a little bit more about that book that you sent me, and oh. if you want to do another podcast about it, I'm totally down. Yeah. So. <clears throat> So I, I read this book, it's called Journey of Souls, and what it is, it's written by uh, a clinical psychologist who is also a hypnotherapist, and then he was doing things called past life regression therapy, where when you can get people into a deep enough, deep enough hypnotic state and then guide them step by step through a process that they enter into scenes from their past lives. And um, he was doing this for a while and then was able to take people not only into past lives, but to where we go in between lives. Some people would call it heaven, other the spirit world. And he interviewed, man, like, I think 7,000 people wow. in this space. And then has written about it where he, he outlines... Um, what happens in, in this other realm. And then when we come back, what's what it's all about. And it's really, really well written. And so um, I was really captivated by the book. And then um, I was listening to it over the weekend. And then I came into work and I was listening to it um, before work. And then my first client, she came in and she says, yeah, Dave, I, I think that I've got some past life trauma. And so we started talking about it and I'm like, okay, well, I've been reading it in a book. Let's see what we can deal with this. Right. And then helped to clear out some past life trauma with her in that session. And then um, after she left, maybe about a half hour later, I got a call from a past client who I hadn't heard of, heard from in about five years. And he like we're talking in in probably the first five minutes, he says, yeah, have you, have you read this book by Michael Newton? And I'm like, actually, I'm reading it right now. Huh, crazy. So, so I really, I'm a strong believer in synchronicity, God, the universe, whatever it is, that when we're in alignment with our path, that certain signs will, will um, let us know we're on that path or certain coincidences will happen that will help us to lead us down the path that really is probably what we decided before we came into this three-dimensional reality um, because we, we create contracts before we come into this dimensionality. 
in certain uh, goals. And one of mine is probably to do this therapy. Because, like, what what are the chances? Of, I don't think that I've ever had a client ask me about doing past life stuff with them. Right. And I've never had anyone ask me if I've read that book before. And it all happened within, like, an hour and a half of one another. So, you know, God, the universe works in mysterious ways. So what it, so I've taken training in past life regression therapy. Well, actually I've done it a couple times and haven't had positive results with it, but I've taken the training and then walked three people, three people through it where they were recounting past lives in details and really experiencing it as well as being able to meet their guides, which is a really interesting experience and communicate with their guides or some people call them angels. And so I'm delving deeper into that. It's, I, I think that it's really incredible. Like think about if, if before we came here that we had certain plans about learning to grow and evolve as spirit beings, that in ways it'd be kind of nice to know what those were to help to really get further in alignment with it. Or it helps to make sense of why certain things happen in people's lives. Mm -hmm. This is so, interesting. I don't yeah. hardly even know enough to know what questions to ask. Yeah, I, I, either do I. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I well, I, I, I guess I, I take that back. I know I've read a lot on it now. And it seems weird and hokey, but I think that it's correct. Mm. I, I really do. Of And so it's an area that I'm really opening up and helping people to understand kind of their karma or what their lessons are in this life, as well as to help them to heal from traumas, not only in this life, but in other lives as well, yeah. to free up that energy so that they can be um, a lot brighter. When uh, you talk about past <laughs> lives, I am not sure if I'm totally following. Is this like a past version of myself or maybe an ancestor that had a very traumatic experience so much so that it kind of affected the genes and have it, come to me? It can be both. Okay. Mm -hmm. It can be both. And so one way of looking at it is, is spirits also evolve. Every, everything evolves and that spirits when when they're first born that they evolve in certain ways have you seen soul the movie i haven't but i've heard it's awesome oh it's wonderful watch soul because soul does a pretty good job at explaining um essentially what this author is talking about which is from from god or source that smaller parts of it separate but they're still connected to source or god or whatever you want to call it but they tend to be innocent naive and that as they evolve they gain knowledge and experience in order to be more beautiful more humane but part of that is is you have to go into the school of hard knocks because if not then how do you really grow like you can it's kind of like learning about swimming from a book or really getting in the water. You're going to learn a heck of a lot more and you'll learn a lot more if the water's turbulent than if the water is only, you know, three feet deep mm -hmm. in, 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 uh, in a swimming pool. And so in part, 
spirit beings, we come here to incarnate in physical bodies in order to have experiences that we can't have in the other realm, which is more of a non-physical reality. So this is much harder school here in that we go through life here to learn and evolve. And then when we die, we return back to the spirit realm. And then we go over, you know, what we learned in this life, as well as some of us create like more negative karma that we take back with us. And then we have to learn more lessons when we come down here. So karma isn't about punishment. It's really about evolution so that we can be wiser uh, and more humane. That, that's my belief about what all of it is. Yeah. So does this fall under, and I don't know if you can necessarily categorize it, does it fall under universalism, Hinduism, or is it, do you have a term that you would use to describe this? Well, I think that there are lots of religions that talk about it, Hinduism, Buddhism, universalism, like, um, mysticism there there are lots of different schools of thought that are saying that reincarnation is correct um christianity doesn't um you know uh but i think that a lot of other religions do and i i don't know for certain but what i've noticed is is that when people when i've taken people into these past lives that they've figured out what their lessons were in that life and how it connected to this life and with the people that I've done it with, most of them have already learned that lesson and they keep going over and over, um, not repeating the lesson, like trying to prevent the lesson, right? So if it was someone who was really narcissistic and selfish in a previous life, and then they come back and then they learn to be less narcissistic by being a caregiver or whatever. And they've learned the lesson that they can't get out of that rut of continuing the lesson, even though they've learned it. But what, what I found is, is going and helping people to realize they've, they've really learned the lesson and it's time to move on. Then they're able to move on to the light, the next stages of whatever that is. But I think people get stuck in the lessons written when they've already learned it. Mm. So I've kind of heard of things like this before. One of the biggest uh, one of the biggest statements against it that I hear is just this idea of uh, that practice kind of just leading to almost a placebo effect on the past life thing. How, I don't know if you've ever heard that, uh, heard someone give that to you, but what do you, what do you typically say to responses like that? That it could be possible that it could be all imagination and placebo. I, I don't know hmm. for certain. Um, but what I do know is, is that the people who I've worked with, they've all found it to be very beneficial. Hmm. And so yeah, I do I know that it's that. true? No. Do I know that it's been beneficial? Oh, yeah. And so I, to me, I don't worry so much about truth as much as benefit. But in ways, it makes a lot more sense to me personally than a, a single life theory. Like, I don't know anyone who would make it into heaven. Hmm. You know, like, and I hope that that multiple life theory is correct because man, 
I'm not going to make it. Let's go around. I, I know that I am not. And that's okay. There are certain people that are at a high enough evolution and personal development that maybe you could say, yeah, you're, you're what I would consider God to be on on this planet or at least close to it. But I'm so far away from that. I hope that I get a number of lives so that I can learn and grow and be that beautiful. That's yeah, interesting. So, yeah. You, it, so I, I don't know if it's right or wrong or true or not, Jordan, but yeah. I know that that for me it works a lot better than I'm doing it to get into to heaven, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to be good in order to do that. You know, it's more of I'm doing it because I want to evolve and be more beautiful <laughs> and to be yeah, like, yeah. No, no, that's again. interesting. Abigail, you know, <laughs> like, like to, to be more loving, you know, and uh, and to spread that and to help other people learn and grow and evolve as well. And and I hope that they're doing the same with other people, right. you know. And I just hope for this world and our species. Yeah, no, that, it's interesting. I think uh, to evolve. Yeah, I think we're definitely. I mean, you know, obviously we look at it a little bit. Both of us look at it a little bit differently, but I mean. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I think we're kind of on the same page about the fact that we're, you know, there being human is basically all about this process, and you know, mm-hmm. lot lot of religions will look at it like you have to do this and do that in order to get into heaven or to what whatever it's called. I think yeah, yeah but... our disagreement is just on like, um, you know, I look yeah. at it like. Uh, you know, I'm that, not good enough, but um, it's ultimately done in Christ. And then you kind of look at it as just getting multiple opportunities to change. So I would definitely love another podcast on it, though. That's yeah, interesting. To, <laughs> I, I, I know that I'm not going to be Christ in right. this life. Could I be after multiple, multiple, multiple lives? Maybe. I mean, like, I've... I've learned and grown a lot in this lifetime. Man, imagine what it'd be like to have a thousand of that, of how how far I've come. I was a shit, (laughs) you know? (laughs) My my mom sent me to a wilderness therapy program when I was a teenager, you know? Like, in in how far I've come, right? Now, imagine that distance, right? Like, it's, it's one step. In, in, imagine a thousand steps, how, how far you can get. And I, and I hope that we can. I, I hope that we can live in an earth where of much more evolved human beings eventually. So I, I really hope that it's correct. You know, it's fascinating. Yeah. What do you think Hitler is doing in his oh, current dear. life? <laughs> oh. yeah. So, so that. The, this, I apologize. Is... I just had no, to no, make a no, joke. That, that, that's fine. There, there are different belief systems about it. One, one would be, you know, he really truly messed up in that lifetime, and that um, that he has a lot of learning and growing to do. Um, other people believe that you come in in certain roles to create such pain that that it creates more growth. For, for people later on. Um, another is, is not every human being has soul or spirit, hmm. <clears throat> which, which to me, that one 
really makes the most sense personally because it explains why th these things that supposedly come from God can do such evil, you know? And so I, I don't know about things that come from this higher vibration and source being able to do such evil. So I, I don't know. It's, but I, that's a, a big question, you know, of like, well, with evil people, what role are they playing or what happens to them? Or are they really even spirit beings? Um, instead of maybe they're just highly intelligent animals. Hmm. Are you more of a determinist worldview or a free will worldview? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a determinist up until this point right now. <laughs> and then, then, then I believe it will. I, 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 that very limited will. Hmm. But Interesting. to think that... Um, I'm choosing to speak English right now versus Japanese. No. Um, am I choosing to blink my eyes when I am? When I, half the time we don't even know what word's going to come out of our mouth next. So true. We, we, we don't. Like, like, really, I don't. Like, if I'm like, okay, right now I'm going to think of the next 15 words that are going to come out of my mouth, I can't really do that so so are we consciously choosing all these things um let alone did i choose th this today to wear maybe not so is this okay that i'm talking about this stuff yeah uh, so yeah so one way of looking at it and so the, here's an equation that our decisions are based upon our genetics and all of our life history and learning up until this point right now. And that from this point right now, we have options of whatever we would call choices to be. And then from that limited option, right? And based upon our genetics and history, that we always choose the same thing every time. Hmm. And what we choose is off this menu of options, based upon this equation, we we'll always choose what occurs to be best. So if I ask someone, did you choose what you ate for breakfast today? Most people are going to say yes. But then I, I'd say, well, maybe. I, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But I, I can tell you this is, Looking at genetics, you didn't eat bugs and you didn't eat grass. <laughs> okay, so we narrow that down. Mm -hmm. Culturally, you you didn't have um, cheese and fruit when a lot of other countries have cheese, fruit, and meat in the morning. Um, I can tell you that you didn't have steak or ice cream. Okay, maybe you had ice cream, you know, <laughs> but definitely not. It was steak, a really right? bad morning. Have, yeah, exactly. So you didn't have steak or ice cream this morning. And also, you didn't have what you had for dinner last night in every other meal, right, for the last week. So then then what you did was is you went to where you go pretty much every morning and then, then looked and then maybe on the menu you had like three options, right? So things that don't even occur to you aren't even there. The steak and ice cream really isn't on the, the menu of options, even though you could be like, well, I could have chosen that. Well, how could you choose something that you didn't even think of, right? Mm -hmm. So then out of those, then you chose out of maybe there are three. Mm -hmm. 
and you chose what you choose every time, what occurred to you to be best at that moment? Now, is that a choice? I, if you keep choosing the same damn thing over and over again, then is that really a choice? <laughs> I don't know. Mm. But by looking at that, what's beautiful is, is it helps us to free ourselves from guilt and shame. Because if using this equation, could I have done anything differently than I did in the past? Quite possibly not. And if I couldn't have done anything differently in the past, and I was doing what occurred to me to be best at the time, then why should I feel guilty? Why should I feel shame about that? Right? So an example I use is I used to be abusive to animals when I was a little kid. And so adults would come and they would say, well, you shouldn't do that. Right? But when you use that, you're using judgment. You know, and also you're, it's, it's, you lose power, you lose understanding. But if you had a team of scientists who followed me from the point that I was conceived up until that point and asked, what are the chances that he's going to abuse an animal? They would say pretty much 100%. And then you'd ask, well, help, explain that to me, help me understand. And they'd say, well, looking at the genetics, he's a boy, so he's got testosterone. Right, so he's going to act out more than girls are, right? Um, another is is that he he grew up with a more aggressive strain of human being, you know, looking at his his parents and their parents and so on. Um, also, like he he saw mistreatment from people to others in his life. Dad's an alcoholic. Mom's kicking dad out. Now he's stuck with his two older sisters and he's being told what to do. And he's sad and alone and he's angry. What, what is in, and, and so someone, what the kid should meditate. The kid should run away from home. The kid should tell his parents to get their shit together. No. What, I mean, what, what's the little kid beat up on his sisters? No, they beat the snot out of him when he tried to do that or told mom. So, I mean, what was I going to do? Sure. So so when I look back on that, I have compassion for that little guy and, and understanding with it. But see, most of the time we go, I shouldn't have done that. Another way of looking at it is, is well, no, you take right or wrong out of it. I should have done it, scientifically speaking. It makes perfect sense. But now I have choice moving forward based upon what I've learned. But really, do I have choice? I, I don't know. I, I I struggle with that one. It's it's a huge question. It will mm-hmm. make my head explode. But yeah, it, it's just a framework of looking at life that I find to be a lot more beneficial, which is the thought, I couldn't have done anything differently than what I did, and I was doing the best I could. And not only me, but every other human being is doing the same damn thing. Mm. And then I've got compassion for even Hitler. Man, like, given the choice of roles in life, would I rather be me or Hitler? That's pretty clear, right? Right. So so to be able to go, wow, he must have been suffering in ways that I don't suffer in. Yeah. So it, it, it's, yeah. What, what about you guys? Have you read up on free will and determinism? And Well, <laughs> as Christians, there's two camps. It's Calvinist or Arminian. And mm-hmm. 
Calvinism is broken into like five big points of doctrine. And I agree with four of them, but I just can't uh-huh. go all the way. <laughs> He's kind of the same way. Yeah. Let's see. What, uh, so Calvinism uh, is... Let me Google what the words are real okay. quick. Okay. But yeah, basically Calvinism it takes the idea that um so a big part of our belief in Christianity is just God's sovereignty and um you know, obviously aside from what Jesus did on the cross. Mhm. Then we have this view about okay, well so salvation comes from understanding that we're sinners and that we um, and that we can't live up to the standard it takes to get into heaven. And so that's why Christ came and died in our place. So if mm-hmm. we believe in Christ, we will be saved. So Calvinism has the belief that God in his sovereignty basically foreknew who would come to salvation. And, you know, I'm, you know, we're kind of in agreement about God having the sovereignty to know this stuff, I think the point that we kind of get hung up on is this idea that then Jesus ultimately died for those specific people rather than the whole world. Whereas an Arminian is going to believe that Jesus died for the whole world and everybody has the free choice to choose him or not. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I lean on the side of some people are definitely more drawn to it than mm-hmm. others but i can't quite get over the point of jesus would only die for me and not for you whether or not you chose if that makes any sense yeah you know i, I grew up catholic and certain things about christian doctrine didn't really kind of make sense to me of this all loving beautiful energy being and then realizing in creating things where part of them would go to eternal damnation and suffering i i I couldn't wrap my head around that and and not only that but certain people who have never even heard of christ Mm -hmm. you know would would be damned for eternity just because of where they were born Mm-hmm. right there's an yeah and there's another point of i mean there's so many points of view that surround this too like one mm. i don't know if we've heard of c.s lewis um uh-huh. he's yeah one of his points of view is that people who had never heard of christ like just never got the opportunity basically it's counted to them that they you know if they looked up and recognized oh hey this is this is beautiful creation is beautiful like in his point of view, that's enough. And so, and then other people are just more, are a lot more easier to just rely on. Oh, God's just sovereign. He knows what he does. It doesn't matter what I, what I like and don't like, but it's, it is pretty fascinating to see just how many points of view actually come from one thing that Christians believe is universal truth is just truth. Yeah, well, there there's thousands of factions of Christianity, yeah. and, and everybody seems to think that they know the right answer to it, you know. And I mean, like, and I, I think a lot of 
a lot of forms of Christianity, Christ would be horrified by, you know, mm-hmm. like, and so you're, you're doing this in my name. Like I, I, I don't, I, and there are a lot of Christians that I don't find to be Christ-like, you know, like Christ was about love and acceptance and non-judgment and peace and beauty. And then these Christians are starting wars or are full of hatred or, or they're elitist. Like it, it always kind of baffles me of, well, that, that's not what Christ was really about in, in my opinion, mm-hmm. you know, like he was here to be a real example of like, treat others as you would like to be treated you know and and i believe you you really probably said treat others as i have treated you you know that that's a powerful statement or treat yourselves as i would treat you i, I think is another powerful statement like i, I think that you you was such an evolved being that that the the planet was graced by him and and i think that some people really have taken his teachings correctly and and others unfortunately haven't and then then they argue about it like they they can read the mind of god you know (laughs) yeah so and and i think in part i mean both of you have good hearts in following that and what really resonates is me and truth with you and less so about Calvin or, or Arminian or, or whoever else, you know, but, but I mean, essentially Christ was saying, look within is that I think so. And, and look within and what really resonates true with your heart. I, I think that Christ wants us to find him through that experience and not, and, and through experiences with one another rather than following what, you know, some some men said, you know, in Nicaea in 300, you know, uh, A.D., like in, in deciding what what books are included and not, you know, like, like you, you guys are figuring it out, it sounds like, and you guys um, are discerning between probably what, what you grew up with and what really fits and how to live true to yourselves, which, you know, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. Is that, that right? Both of you, you kind of seem like on your own journey of, of self and Christ discovery and not so much what other people are telling you. Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, he, I mean, that's a whole other rabbit trail about uh <laughs> what he what he said and didn't you know what he said and didn't said and i'd mm-hmm. have to take time to actually come up with a more specific answer to to a lot of that stuff but um you know at the end of the day he just says you know to simply simplify it he says just come to me and mm-hmm. you know at that point it doesn't matter like I'm going to grow, you know, I'm going to grow as a human being and I'm going to grow as a Christian as I follow mm-hmm. Christ. But, you know, again, it's not going to, you know, like I said, we're both on the same agreement that we're not going to reach that standard of perfection at the end. 
I just mm -hmm. have the view that because I believe in Christ, I don't have to, at the end of the day, I'm not going to reach that standard, but I don't have to because I'm saved in him. Mm -hmm. So, Because you have the belief or... Oh, just, well, just because he said, just because he said anyone who comes to him will be saved. Uh-huh. It's kind of what all, all of scripture points to. But. Okay. And then I, I think too, it might depend on what is determined by come to him means, right? Which might be if you become Christ, then, then you're coming to him. You know, uh, like getting like the the gate is narrow, which I, I think is suggesting that that you have to be at a high enough vibration of love, you know, or energy in order to really get into that other realm. Um, and so, yeah, I yeah that that's another thing where for me like like i, I believe in christ so like I, I just think i don't buy so much in that only select people get in and then it's like then you get in and then what happens right everything seems to be about growth and evolution and moving forward and so for me anyway like like Christ is one of the best examples that's ever been on this planet of how to be godlike. And so does come to me mean coming to me in your heart or means really coming to me in your words and your behavior and really trying to emulate and be me on in this reality. And I, that, that's what I hope is, is that, that that's what, people are doing is really trying to be him as much as possible because I, I really do i think that he was probably one one of the most evolved human beings that ever was on this planet sure you have anything to add um well i just wanted <laughs> uh, to mention my personal belief about heaven is uh -huh. so the bible says that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and uh -huh. a lot of what makes this earth so great is that we have so much to to always be learning and mm -hmm. i think in heaven it will be a basically this earth but instead of dying you just keep living but you still mm. get to learn everything you get to learn how grass mm -hmm. works you get to learn all of the things that we mm -hmm. lament that we don't have time in this life mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. is really exciting for me mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. which the the growth continues mm -hmm. exactly uh -huh. yeah uh -huh. Yeah, which I, I, I think that that's a beautiful way of thinking about it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I really appreciate you taking so much time. Yeah, well, it's fun and enjoyable. It's good meeting you, Jordan. Yeah, and, yeah. No, that, was, that was fun. Yeah. That was great. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to chat again about different things. And yeah, and as I continue to learn more about the past life regression and stuff like that. Um, I'm more than happy to talk about it. Yeah. It seems pretty wacky and freaking far out there, man. But, <laughs> but yeah. you know, like oh, it's, it, it's in ways, interesting. Yeah. It, it makes sense to me, you know? So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Yeah. Um, anywho, 
I had something, but I lost it. Mm. Anyway, we appreciate your time and helping us out. And um, <laughs> my, my pleasure. I think I'll get this book and read it, and in a couple months or something, I'll hit you up again, and we can talk even more about it. Okay. Yeah, I, that'd be fascinating. I'd, I'd love to dialogue about that and and maybe write down questions and thoughts and for us to maybe have more of a conversation, too, sure. about it. Yeah, yeah that let's plan great. on it. Yeah, and Jordan, if you want to be part of that as well, yeah, <laughs> it'd be fun. I'll at least want to listen to it. That's how... Yeah, okay. Sounds yeah. fascinating. E- either way. Yeah. Okay. Have Here's a wait, great... I'm, I'm trying to figure this shit out, too. Right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. My Good seeing you. You, too. All Have right. a good evening. Take care. All right. You, too. Bye.